Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today I have my husband, Noah, with us. Hi, Noah. Hi. So I'm glad you're here because this is the Father's Day show. It's pretty awesome. And we have been doing this for one year now. We have one year of stories. I know. Isn't that crazy? We have learned so much. It has flown by. And we've learned a lot about adoption. And if you're interested in any of those podcasts, you can find them on iTunes. But I just want to talk to you today as a dad. Tell us about being a father to four adoptive kids. Now, mind you, we have a six-year-old, a -a three-and-a-half-year-old, a two-year-old, and a two-month-old. So do this on very little sleep. (laughs) Right. I would say it is the most rewarding aspect of my life, for sure. I look at all the different things that I've done, whether it's work or sports, marriage, but kids are definitely the most rewarding, sometimes the most challenging, also sometimes the most humbling. But I look at my four kids, and I'll never forget, my dad told me one time, you know, every child that he would have, he would always wonder, you know, how is he going to love this next one? And I feel the same way. Like every time we add a child, I'm amazed at how God can open my heart to love a kid even more than I would ever expect. And so, you know, being a dad, especially an adoptive dad, has really helped me understand God in a whole new way that I've never understood before. And uh, it brings a lot of pride. Good pride, pride. right? Yes, yes. Proud to be a father. Now, wait a second. You're saying it's more rewarding than being married? Wait a second. You knew I was going to stop you. (laughs) I love that, though. I love hearing from adoptive dads, and I love hearing how you connect to your children, because that's the question that a lot of dads have when they go into adoption is, am I going to be able to love this child as if it was my own child, right? As adoptive parents, we cringe when we hear that. But that's a lot of reality there. I mean, a lot of dads really do ask themselves, am I going to be able to do this? And speak to that just really quick. I think it's something we've talked about before. You know, it's definitely a call on our lives. So going into it, there was never a doubt in my mind that I would go, oh man, I don't know if I can love this kid the same. It's something where I look at my children and they're mine. That's who God gave me as children. And so I've even had people come up to me and say, you know, that the sparkle in your eye when you talk about your kids is the exact same as when I talk about my biological kids. How is that? And and I can't tell you it's a specific thing. I can't say, oh, I've done, you know, step one, two, and three to get there. It's really something that I know that is a call in my heart and who I am supposed to be. Wouldn't you say one of the most awesome things is when somebody says, this child reminds me of you? Absolutely. Because there's no biological reason for it, and yet they show a character trait or a saying or even, you know, like a smile, the way that you smile. I've seen AJ smile the same way. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, today we have a really special show because we have Brad Pierce with us. Brad, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. And you get to speak into this as well because you are adopted from the Philippines. Yes, yes. And so you have an adoptive dad, so to speak. I mean, it's your dad, but you can understand from a different perspective and you can tell us about that today. So let's just talk about your story and who you are. Yeah, yeah. So I was adopted. And uh, so 1975, spring, April, uh, actually 22nd, I was actually found around 4 p.m. in Manila, Philippines. 
And um, if you guys ever seen that movie Dropbox or mm-hmm. okay. so it, it's not exactly the exact same story about that, but I was actually found by a security guard outside of this orphanage in Manila. And this orphanage was actually surrounded by this kind of water moat. And a lot of moms or whoever, you know, drops these kids off, they drop them into what they call a turning cradle. And basically it's an opportunity for them to open that up, put the baby in there. And on the other side, right, these Catholic nuns actually grab the babies on the other side. Well, I actually never made it to the turning cradle. I was actually found in a little grassy knoll area around 4 p.m. that day, if you will, uh, by a security guard. They found me. I was around two or three pounds, bluish, greenish, got rushed over to the doctor there at the facility. And of course, he was saying, hey, look, you know, we got to get this guy up and running and uh, get him going as fast as we can. And he basically said, you know, look, there's no documentation. There's no, you know, information to tie who his parents are, right? right? There's no identity tied to him. So it was deemed officially as I was abandoned, right? And so he's like, look, we don't really have an exact date for birthday. So he's probably within a month old. So let's make his birthday April 1st. Wait a second. How could you be two to three pounds, but a month old? I mean, he said within a month, right? Maybe less. You must have been really small and not eating at all. Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, your life was completely spared. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about your parents on this side. Why were they choosing adoption? My parents, basically, they had a biological son, older son. I have an older brother, Jim. When he was born after that, my parents couldn't have or my mom couldn't have any more kids after that. But it was on their heart, right? God put it on their heart to actually have at least three kids in the family. So ironically, my sister here in Denver was actually adopted. And then my dad actually served or had a relationship with the adoption agency that I came through. At the end of the day, decided to say, hey, you know what? We should go international and adopt international. Okay, so your sister is adopted from the States. Yep, here in Denver. Okay, so he decided to go international. Why did they choose the Philippines? So it was part of that relationship. So basically, a gal by the name of Marilee Fahrenbrink back in 1974, she lived in the Philippines. And so what she was looking to do is do some work over there, but notice that there was pretty much a a big abundance of abandoned babies, right? Abandonment Mm -hmm. uh, that was over there. And... In her heart, she was seeing this, that, you know what, there might be an opportunity here that we could launch an adoption program. Maybe I could start an adoption agency. I don't know. So what she did was, is she actually ran a pilot program in the spring of 1975 with 16 kids from the Philippines and ran a pilot, placed uh, 16 kids into families that spring. It basically continued to grow and it continued to be a pilot throughout that year. Okay. Uh, And so I was kind of that next phase where I was actually placed in my family August that year. So. Okay. So how long were they waiting to be matched? Do you know that? Don't know. Okay. So you are one month old, they say. And when is your birthday? When do you celebrate your birthday? April 1st. April 1st. Okay. So you are celebrating your birthday April 1st. Yes. When did they make the call to your parents? So basically what happened was, uh, from my understanding, is that it was within at least a couple months, I was actually placed in the family that I got adopted in, obviously that August, right, which is probably about three or four months later. 
But in that time frame, I was actually placed with a foster family intentionally to get me fed, get me up to speed. And get you up and running, as yeah. you said. Yes. Okay, so you, you became up and running. Yes. Then you went to a foster family while you were waiting for your parents to come and get you. So when did they actually meet you? That August? So we met actually Christmas that year. So I was still in the Philippines from, you know, basically April to December, but I was officially adopted in August. The reason why I had to stay there is just because of malnutrition, right? You know, it's just important for me to stay as long as I could. And then that was the time that they felt it was probably best that, hey, he's healthy enough to go over to the States. I can't believe it. Yeah. I mean, have they talked to you about what that was like for them to get the call and be waiting to go over and get you? Uh, really, really excited. My brother wrote me this little letter. He was, gosh, he was probably seven years old. And I was a Mickey Mouse stationary Aww. notepad. And he wrote this note for my brother and sister saying, hey, Brad, we can't wait to meet you. We've got a bunk bed ready for you. We're super excited to actually have a brother. And what he said in that letter was, you know, I want to share with you and teach you all these things. He goes, I play a lot of soccer. I want to teach you how to play soccer. But, you know, once you get older, we'll get to that point. So. Wow. He was a great writer at seven. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He wrote you a novel. That's so he, he awesome did. that you have that like as a memory, though. Yeah, my mom framed it, and everybody has uh, a copy of it. He actually has it downstairs in his house. I think he still has it. Are you still close? Yeah. That yeah. is so awesome. That reminds us of AJ, of yeah. course. Our seven-year-old is very much into loving the new sibling. And he would also write a letter. I mean, that's so yes. his heart. Yes. And it's the older brother heart. You know what's amazing is, is that adoptive families... I believe it's just called upon from God and it's just unconditional love, you know, and that's the heart of God. And I think when, you know, like your family is put together, God put your family together mm -hmm. and love, you know, it, it conquers, right? I mean, it's just unconditional love and that's just the heart of God. And that's what we felt in our family as well. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of stories where love is not enough and, and it's very difficult for families. But I think when you go into it, saying exactly what you're saying, that's how we approach it as well. This is how God has created our family. I mean, babies come from all different ways, guys, but we are an adoptive family and this is normal to us. This mm -hmm. is their every day. Yes. And so going to the hospital and picking up a baby is so normal to them. <laughs> that's where they think they come from, yeah. the hospital. That's it. And that's how we explain life to them. And we also teach them to respect that other people didn't do it that way. You know, some of our friends are pregnant and they're going to have a baby. And that's how that mommy got her baby. And so I think explaining it so that it's normal and normalizing your life and not going into it like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to explain that this one's adopted or what their story is? It sounds like your parents did a really good job of explaining everything to you. We're going to talk about when they got you. But just really quick, you have so much information about how you started in life. How did they know that story? So basically all the adoption papers documented, I think the, the laws, I don't want to say it was open adoption, but they definitely documented a lot of different pieces of information, super tight, obviously with the orphanage that I came from, they were super open to actually document a lot of different uh, information. And ironically, they actually kept in contact with us over the last 40 plus years. 
And periodically, I want to say it was maybe five or six years ago, they reached out just to check in to see, you know, how things are going, so on and so forth. So the agency reached out to you? No, no. The orphanage reached out to my parents. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. I just want to hit on really quick about open adoption. We use that term loosely, and it can mean two different things to people. Open adoption can mean the birth mother is a part of your life, and you have an open adoption with her present. But open adoption can also mean, and we've talked to several adoptees that have used open adoption as in as much information as you can get. Yes. And so how open can we be? And I would really encourage every family to pursue that. As much information as you can get from the hospital about the birth mother, you might have a closed adoption, so you might not be parenting with your birth mother present, but in those first days that you get your child, get as much information as you can, because later on they are gonna ask you. And the more you can tell them, the healthier they will be. If you close it and you don't know anything, they're left to guess. They don't know one thing about their story. And it sounds like your parents told you everything and you really embraced that. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, your question, right? How, how did your parents really kind of made it the norm in this adoption? It was just a norm. It was a conversation. I think what my parents did really well and what my mom did really well was just open conversation around me being adopted and what the story was, you know? And she, over the years, she would constantly always tell me, hey, you realize you know, you came to the Philippines and you were two or three pounds, bluish green. She'd always tell me that story. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah. Use the word abandon. Was there ever a time in your life that you had a hard time with that word? I did not. That's very interesting. AJ once said to us, our seven-year-old, Mom, there was a time that I was in the hospital and I was alone. And we had not told him that story. And so for him to come out and say that, And he said, but I'm okay with that because you came and got me and you needed me. And I was like, you're right, son. We needed you and you needed us. And we are in this beautiful parenting son partnership. God knew we needed each other and it normalized it for us. I mean, it leveled the playing field completely for him to say that because absolutely we need this child. Yeah. It's not about us saving a child. It's about that God has orchestrated it. This is what it was destined to be. And so words like abandonment or being alone aren't scary to him because they have a happy ending because they are hard words to say, but we want him to, at a young age, embrace that. And it sounds like your parents did that. And so you say it like, yeah, it was abandoned. I was a part of this abandoned group of babies. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I think through the years, you know, I grew up in a family where we believed in God and believe in God as Christians. And I think when I look back on all that experience, you know, quote unquote, being abandoned and being found in the Philippines, it was just, to me, it's part of God's story. It's just part of what and how he's kind of worked this whole story in, if you will. And it, so it's just a part of it. And so there was never ever a feeling of, yeah, I was abandoned. And I just never felt that way. Right. And, I, and at the heart of it, is two things one to me is the unconditional love that my parents showed Mm -hmm. by far no doubt about it and then number two having god's hand into this thing Mm -hmm. i think that that really adds a level of peace when you're like god has ordained as you said this whole thing and this is what was meant to be and so you don't have all these questions where you're like well this is just this is my story 
You don't know any different. This that's is my it. story. And you have been told from a very young age, and that's important too, right? Wouldn't you agree, Noah, age-wise? Yes. Yeah, it's not something that you want to wait until they're 15, 16 years old. <laughs> right. We've heard stories like that. Yeah. And that's there's a lot of pain and a lot of processing that takes a lot longer to get through than having the open dialogue and open communication. And you just hit it on the head. Open dialogue and communication is huge. Mm-hmm. And they were always, always open up with that. You know, and I, I can tell that you guys are as well, which is, you know, for your kids, awesome. Okay, so your parents go over in December. So they were actually here in Denver. So what, what happened was is that the foster family, once we were at that point where, okay, we got a date set. Uh, I came over here the week or two right before Christmas. They brought me to the airport in Manila. They got me up to speed as far as not only the paperwork, but the passport and all that kind of stuff. And then they actually had an escort that they put me on the plane with, with other adoptees. And then we all came over here to Denver. You were just a little guy going through all that. I know, eight months. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that you were bonded to your foster mother? Yes. So how was that for her to hand you over? Funny, we talked a couple years ago and she told me the story of when it was time for me to go, she was originally gonna take me to the airport in Manila, but she couldn't do it. So she had her husband do it, who's this big military Navy guy, right? Tough guy. He did it. But he got to the airport, and then once he handed me off to the escort that brought me over here, he couldn't stay to watch me go down the runway. That's crazy. Yeah. So you said it was a bunch of other adoptees as well. Was mm-hmm. that yep. everyone had an escort, or were there other families? There was the other road? families. So this one, I think, was a sign, a couple kids, whatnot. Ironic, she, she lives, I don't know if she's still here, but she lived in Arvada at the time. But my whole family was there. It was at Stapleton Airport. Our Christmas picture snapped there right at the airport. And then wow, that was it. And so, I came in a, I came in a, a big stocking. No <laughs> way. <laughs> said, what? My, said my name on it. Are you joking right now? No, I'm serious. They put you in a stocking? Yeah, like a big, <laughs> big stocking. That's awesome. We need to post that picture. Do you <laughs> have that picture? I need that picture. Yeah, I can find it. Okay. Yeah. That is so cute. Yeah. I bet. And that's the best. I mean, can you imagine, Noah? That would be the <laughs> best Christmas present ever. I think it's, it's awesome, too. You know, every story is so unique. And to hear that part of your story, we've talked before, you know, and yeah. I've never heard that part. And to think about even that foster family and the role that they played mm-hmm. and the call that they knew that they had on their life mm-hmm. doesn't mean it wasn't painful, it wasn't hurtful, it wasn't difficult. It just to look back and see, oh my goodness, they even understood the role that they had to get you to your family. Yes. And you know what? You take a look at a lot of this, you know, looking at you, April, and looking at you, Noah, I mean, as parents, it's unbelievable as looking at you guys, the heart of you guys and the heart of parents of what parents go through just to adopt one child and to put the family together the way it needs to be put together. It's it's amazing. Like, it's amazing. Well, now we're all crying. We're going to take a break. <laughs> You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. We'll be right back. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670kltt.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband, and I want to thank you for listening to this story on today's program. Do you have an adoption story? April and I have been through our own adoption journey, and I'd like to encourage you to contact us about sharing your story. 
You can do that by going to our website, adoption-now.com, and clicking on the Tell Your Story tab. Let's join together and inspire others. And now let's rejoin April and the rest of today's story. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. We're talking to Brad today. He's adopted from the Philippines. And this is a special show for Father's Day. I'm so happy to have Noah. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Brad, your story is so amazing. You're adopted from the Philippines, and your parents are just getting you. And it's Christmas time. You're in a stocking. And we have just been talking about how much they loved you and how you were loved from the very start. Even when you were found... The orphanage loves you. Your foster family loves you. The mom and dad can't even say goodbye to you. They're so emotionally broken that you're leaving. I mean, first of all, well, you're lovable. (laughs) But that is it. I see the healthiest adoptees as adults because they have been loved through the whole time. Now, if there's brokenness in there and they were abused somewhere, that's where a lot of the cleanup happens. But gosh, God had his hand on you from the time that you were born. Yes. And so when they get you, what was it like for them to transition into having a new baby? So they get me, right? But it's the third, I'm the third child. So international adoption, because of the fact that from a medical perspective, they kind of had to keep an eye on me that kind of that first year, you know, for them, it was a moment, I believe for my mom and dad that, okay, my family's complete. Mm. God has totally blessed us. And now we can move forward and really charge life together. So there's this thing called cocooning. It's new in the adoption world. And we talk about it a lot. It's the way that a mother would connect and a father would connect to a child who's a little bit older. So there's this time period that they have to now catch up, the nine months in utero and now eight months that you've been with someone else. So now they're new parents and you guys are getting to know each other. Do you know about any of that time that they had with you? I'm sure it wasn't called cocooning, but how did your mom go backward to get you to really trust her? You know, at that point in time, my dad was just starting uh, a retail company and my mom had some other stuff that she was doing as well. And she could have easily if she wanted to just get a, a babysitter or daycare or whatever, but mm-hmm. she decided not to do that. And while she was running her businesses, if you will, she took all of us under her wing, right? During the day. And they just really, to me, it was really a great example of a team effort in the whole thing. And so because of that, it allowed us to really connect with my mom. It allowed me to really connect with my mom. And then obviously as my brother and my sister got older, you know, I'm the youngest one, so there was more and more time that I got a chance to spend, you know, with my mom. So she took me everywhere, right? I mean, she took me to the grocery store, to errands that need to be run, even like some vendors that she had to meet with for her business. Like I would go along with her, right? So, you know. Did she get to name you? Did your parents name you? Yes. Okay. Yes. What was your birth name? My birth name, well, when I was born, it was Theodore San Jose. And the orphanage I came from was Especia San Jose in Manila. And then when I was born, they renamed me, and I was named after my dad's brother, Brad. And then my middle name is John, which is after my mom's brother as well. Wow. We did that too. We did family names that were super important. And we talk to our kids all the time about the importance of their name. And they're very proud. They each have their own song. We've made up a song (laughs) for each kid. And they have their own song about their name. But that's really important to make a child feel like you're part of the family. This is serious. 
You are ours. You belong to us and you have a family name. Yes. Legacy, right? Absolutely. Your sister was how old when you came home? She's about three and a half years older than me. Okay. How did she address to having you? Embraced it. I mean, Jim, my older brother, and then Megan, my sister, embraced it. And I, I think my parents did a really good job kind of educating them a little bit like, hey, we're going to have another kid. He's coming over here from the Philippines. It's going to be awesome. And so I think they did a really good job kind of prepping them. And so it was definitely open arms for sure. So I have a question for you, you know, the adjustment process. Yeah. So talking about your family adjusting, yeah. one of the questions I was just thinking about, yeah. especially in my own family, I see it. When would you say you started to recognize that your skin was different yeah. than your siblings? Um, I would say right away. Probably the time that I really was aware of that was probably kindergarten, maybe even preschool. I think it was more and more self-aware around maybe first grade kind of looking around and, you know, look, I'm Filipino, light brown skin, everybody else is Caucasian. Like, I just remember at that point in time, it wasn't anything like completely like bugged me. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, what's going on? But there was a moment in time where I was like, gosh, I'm wondering if I'm going to like kind of transform more into their skin color, right? I kind of move away from this skin color to, you know, what all my friends are. And I just remember I would look at my hands and I would turn them palms up and I would look down and be like, okay, getting lighter. It's starting to work. <laughs> it's starting to work. But was that because you just wanted to look like your parents? I think it was just kind of an identity piece around just being, you know, I, I think there was a moment in time where I was probably thinking, you know, I want to fit in a little bit more. Right. Or feel because like there I was no in. other Filipinos around That's right. at that time. So now we have groups right? Adoption groups. You can take your children to heritage camps, they call them. And it's a group of African-American adopted children and you learn how to do their hair or you can do Latino groups. And so you could find a Filipino group of children that were adopted here in in Denver and I'm sure all over in states. But without that, you didn't have anyone else to... No, but that was about it. I mean, it was kind of one of those deals where it was just a moment of time or I guess a phase or a stage. But beyond that, it wasn't really anything I really thought about any further. You know, One thing that we do is, and we cannot protect them from the way the world will view them, but in our family, it's so cool to be different. You're so cool because you have you know darker skin and Lily will, our four, almost four-year-old will say, what do my people eat? <laughs> You know, like, what do my people eat? She just recognizes that she's different, but teach me about who I am and my people. And then AJ's like, what do my people eat? And so we go through this little bit of making them feel really special. They don't have that negative connotation where we're like, oh gosh, we don't feel uncomfortable about it. So they don't feel uncomfortable about it. And when they do, and believe me, it will come up. We're not trying to pretend that it's not going to come up. But when they do, we're ready to be open about that and figure out how we can help them feel really good about their identity. You hit it right on the head. I mean, I think that's one of the things as parents, at least from my parents, and you guys get it, is educating your kids on where they're really coming from, right? I mean, where they're from, where they're born, kind of their heritage, that whole thing. And so I think, you know, at least my mom and my dad, you know, they educated me a little bit about the Philippines. I came from the Philippines and my mom was always doing a really good job just kind of educating them a little bit about the culture. But ironically, I've never been back to the Philippines since I left. So 
at some point I want to go back there. Absolutely. Will you go and see the foster mother? Uh, we're friends on Facebook. So she's down in Arizona. And Oh, uh, she's we, in Arizona? Yeah, yeah. We keep in contact. Yeah. Okay. And her kids and everything. You need to go back to the Philippines. But, but I, since you're an adult, you have like been around other Filipinos. Oh, yeah. What's that like? You know, it's funny. I've been out to San Francisco, been out to Hawaii, right, Maui, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of Filipinos, Japanese, Asian, and um, they just automatically assume that I know how to talk Tagalog, or they automatically assume, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's pretty funny. So Mel and I, my wife, we took a trip to San Francisco last year, and we're standing outside of our hotel waiting for, you know, the cab to get us. And so the doorman is actually from the Philippines, right? And so you know, he kind of came up to me and he's like, Hey man, what's going on? And he's like, are you Filipino? I'm like, yeah, I'm Filipino. He goes, welcome home, bro. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. He goes, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from actually Denver, Colorado. He goes, you ski there? I'm like, yeah. He goes, man, that's awesome. I've never seen snow before. That's right. And how did you feel about that? Did you feel strange or connected? You know what? It was kind of connected, right? But like a humorous way right because he's like hey welcome home bro because there's a lot right. of there's a lot of filipino population in san francisco i have to say it's an honor to be here with you because there's so many books there's so much research there's so many things that people talk to adoptive families about on how to raise kids of a different race or a different ethnicity and to be able to talk to you as a successful adult father husband who has just been able to grow I'm really honored because I see what your parents did, what your siblings did. And to me, that's such a better example of any book that I could read, mm -hmm. any person that could tell me from a psychological point of view, how do you do it? Uh, it's just awesome to see the, the love that your parents had for you to be able to communicate openly with you. I think that's key. Something that my wife and I have definitely worked on, especially me. April's much better than I am, but just... <laughs> To be able to continue that dialogue, I think, is so crucial to yeah, what we're doing. It is. I mean, I think what you guys are doing, I mean, there's no formula to it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's God's will for your family to be together the way that they are. And all the life lessons that you're teaching your kids, it's no different than if you were to, you know. So I have two daughters, a three and six-year-old, right, that are biological, right? But the way we teach them about life lessons and those types of things is no different than what you guys are doing with your kids, right? And that's what my parents did with me. I think parenting with confidence, love and confidence is so important. And I think when we are confident about who we are as a family, we don't walk into a room and are embarrassed by our family. This is what we're very proud of. And like you said, we worked really hard. We have spent every dime and done everything that we could to bring our family together. Yes. We are not going to walk around embarrassed of our family. We are walking right. around like we own it. Heck yeah. We are proud of our children. We are proud of their stories. We are proud of where they came from. We are proud of their ethnicity. We are proud of what we worked for in our marriage. And so you can't convince us that these kids don't belong with us. You can't tell us that there was some mistake in the plan. We are sold out to this is what God has called us to do. And our kids are under that umbrella of confidence. And we know who we are and our calling. And I think that some parents just need to hear that. And it is funny. I agree with Noah. I mean, hearing you encourage us is like, it means so much more because you 
have been through it and because you were adopted. And so when you turn around and say, yes, you're doing it right. My parents did this for me too. And I see the way that you're working with AJ and Lily and all these things. It's like, oh my gosh, that is so much better than a book. It's the gift of life. You open the door for your kids to have a life and it's a gift, you know? And so obviously it goes both ways, but I mean, look, you open the doors for these guys to have a life and a family and you're their mom and dad, which Mm -hmm. is just awesome. It's an honor. The coolest thing too, though, is it's a gift. Yes. But, and everybody says, Oh, you know, you're so wonderful. You've blessed those kids lives. And it's amazing how much we've learned that it goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Just like we talked about, you know, that we needed AJ and AJ needed us and God knew that and brought our family together just like yours. Let's talk about the gift you gave your father. Fast forward probably 32 years later. Long story short, my dad, spring of 2005, he got rushed to the hospital thinking that it was a kidney stone. And so, you know, he got rushed to the hospital and what they found was, was some kind of cyst on his kidney, but he had internal bleeding a little bit. So they had to kind of let the internal bleeding kind of subside a little bit. And as they took a little bit deeper look to the, I think it was a cyst on his kidney, they're like, okay, something's a little bit different in this. And so they actually made a surgery date a couple weeks later, I think it was, to remove it. And I was thinking, cool, he's going to be in and out, you know, that same day, done, right? When we got down to Mayo, it was in Mayo Clinic in Arizona. My mom and I were there. Obviously, my dad was there. And he went into surgery. And my mom and I were just anticipating just a couple hours, right? But they went into surgery and they actually found that there was cancer in his kidney. And then they looked on the other side, there was cancer on his other kidney, both kidneys, right? So there was cancer on one kidney and then cancer on the other kidney. Okay. And so what they found was is that they had to make a call like right away. And everything kind of went into panic mode because none of us were anticipating this. So Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale had to call Rochester Mayo and they made the call right on the spot with my mom and I, we got to remove the kidneys. Boom. They removed the kidneys and uh, he was on dialysis for the next couple years. So what's crazy about that is, is that the doctor that was with us that day were my mom and dad's doctor at the time. And she actually happens to be Noah Philippines and she's a Filipino, so on and so forth. So we kind of had that connection and we were talking and, you know, in the midst of crisis and kind of in the midst of what was going on at that moment in time, right after his kidneys, you know, had to be removed. She turns to me and I'll never forget this. She said, Hey, how crazy would that be in the next couple of years or so? If you actually became his donor, I'm like, Oh yeah, that would be awesome. But like, we got to focus on right now. You know what I mean? Right. And were you like, and also I'm not biological. So yeah, I mean, it, cause that, is that what you think of? Like it would yep. be a blood relative that would be able Absolutely. to do that. Yep. Yep. Because I mean, look, right. Filipino, German English, blood doesn't really line up that way, you know? So two years later, he ended up getting tested more. And through this whole process of him being on dialysis for a couple years, it was a process. But he finally got to the point where he was clear to actually do a transplant for a new kidney, which is great. And so the doctor, when he was meeting with my dad, basically said, look, I'm not sure if your older son, who's biological, would be a donor. And the reason why is because we think it might be hereditary. So my dad said, well, I've got an adopted son from the Philippines. What about him? Would that work? 
And so the doctor said, well, it could be a 50-50 shot. You know, look, you're German English, your son's Filipino, but like, why not? So my dad called me up a couple weeks later and uh, he basically just said, hey, Brad, I'm clear to go and move forward with a transplant. Would you be willing to get on the donor list? And I said, absolutely, of course. Did you think that was weird that he said that though? I mean, were you thinking there's no way? You know what? I didn't think it was weird that he asked me, but I was wondering like, hey, is this going to work? Mm-hmm. And, and I remember when in that call, he's like, hey, man, he goes, look, if, if it turns out to be a match and our blood catches on fire, he's like, we're going to be good to go. You know, it's kind of his humorous uh-huh. comment. <laughs> and so anyways, so they ended up choosing me to be the first one to actually go test to be the kidney donor. I'm like, OK, let's do this. So it was a couple months of testing, kind of, you know, going back and forth. And then the last week of August time frame, uh, I had to go down to Mayo for at least a week and went through a ton of different tests, pretty rigorous. And I remember a couple weeks later, I was still back down in Arizona. And, you know, they basically told me before my parents, they're like, hey, you guys are a match. No way. Yeah. And of course, I was crying. I was like, oh, my gosh. So I get back to the house and I told my parents about it. My mom started crying. My dad started crying. You know, they got the call from Mayo officially. And so 32 years later, or 34 years later at that point in time, you know, we were a match. So I actually gave him my kidney in September 2007. So it's actually 10 years ago. You saved his life. Yeah. I mean, that's so amazing. And it goes back to the AJ story is that he needed you and you needed him. Yep. And, it. and it's amazing how much you love your family that you would do that. Yeah. You know, and that's the hope is that all of us adoptive parents, we want to love our children and raise them correctly and have them want to give us life back. It's such a beautiful story, Brad. It's a, it's a gift. Thank you. I mean, it's look, it was one of those deals, right? God was just saying, hey, you know, would you be willing to do this and of course I said yes and I always tell my dad I'm like look man you went through this process I was just there to give you a little bit of a push to get over the hump what a miracle thank you so much for sharing your story Noah thank you for joining us thanks for having me and to all you dads out there happy Father's Day don't forget to like adoption now on Facebook and remember all of our podcasts are available on iTunes I'm gonna get that picture of Brad in that stocking and we're gonna post it and also a picture of his beautiful family He's a beautiful wife and two darling girls thanks for tuning in to adoption now I'm your host April Fallon see you next week I love you for a Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.